to the Very Well Mind podcast. We've interviewed over 100 authors, experts, entrepreneurs, athletes, musicians, and others to help you learn strategies to care for your mental health. This episode is hosted by psychotherapist and best-selling author Amy Morin. Now let's get into the episode. Today, I'm talking to Chrissy Metz. She rose to fame in her role as Kate on NBC's This Is Us. The show tackles real-life issues like grief, substance abuse, and strained family relationships. And if you're a fellow viewer, you know how heart-wrenching it can be to watch at times. I'm thrilled that we got to talk to Chrissy just as the show is approaching its finale. In addition to her work as an actress... She also happens to be an amazing singer and a New York Times number one best-selling author. Her book, This Is Me, talks a bit about her childhood and the lessons she's learned along the way. I was really excited to sit down and talk to her about connecting the dots between childhood and adulthood, something both the TV show and her book address really well. Some of the things she talks about today are the connections between our childhood wounds and our adult experiences, how we can heal those childhood wounds, and the proactive steps we can take to manage our mental health. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for the therapist take. It's the part of the show where I'll break down Chrissy's mental strength building strategies and talk about how you can apply them to your own life. So here's Chrissy Metz on how healing your childhood wounds can help you grow mentally stronger. Chrissy Metz, welcome to the Very Well Mind podcast. Thank you for having me. So I'm a huge fan of your show. In fact, it's one of the shows that I guess the only show a few years ago, I convinced my producer to sit down and watch with me. He had certain shows he wanted me to watch. And I said, you got to watch This Is Us. It's an amazing show. And clearly it took off. You've resonated with so many people and so many people are sad to know that it's coming to an end soon. I know. And I'm sad. We're sad too. You know, it's so hard when you do a show as an actor as a creative, that means so much more than just entertainment. You know, it's like a blueprint for life. And it feels like we're all experiencing it together. And whether you see yourself as a character or you understand a character or yourself better through the character or the writing, it's um, it's just so much more than just a TV show. Yeah. And when you tried out for the part of Kate, you knew this was the role for you, right? Well, I knew it was, but I didn't know if I'd get it. You know, right. I was like, oh my gosh, I know what it's like to be the second fiddle, to live in the shadow of someone, to, you know, have issues surrounding food and my behavior around food and what it's like to want to aspire to be something that you just can't quite get a grasp of and you have shame and guilt around it. And um, yeah, I mean, I wrote a letter to the executives and to casting um, I put it in my book and I was just like, listen, whoever's going to be right is going to be right. And I, I trust that you guys are going to choose the right person, but I think it's me. <laughs> so sometimes, you know, it does pay. It does pay off to to be vulnerable and to to go the little the little extra mile. And before you landed that role, you had 81 cents in your bank account, I hear. It's true, y'all. I was broke. <laughs> I mean, no savings. Truly had to borrow money to get to the audition through um, a, a dear friend who is my best friend in the world. 
And she's like, I'm telling you, Chrissy, this is different. And I'm like, I don't know. Let me just get to the audition. And, uh, you know, you need $20 in your account to like have the ATM swipe at the gas station. So um, I had to borrow some moolah for the audition to get there. Yeah. And a lot of people might not know that about you, that not that long ago, you were living a life as a regular person struggling to get by. And now here you are, this huge celebrity. I mean, your book starts with you talking about the fact you suddenly got invited to lunch with Oprah. Yeah. What in the world? What in the world? What's really crazy I also talk about in my book is that when I was married to my ex-husband, who was an angel, I remember sitting at a restaurant in in Montecito where Oprah lives and thinking like, oh my gosh, she's like three miles away from here. Like, I want to know her. I, I mean, we all want to know her. We all think we know her. We all love her. Um, and I was like, I want to, you know, one day I want to meet Oprah. And um, I never thought I would be invited to her home. Um, what? Even saying that now, I'm like, what in the heck? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm still very much a regular person. I just have sort of a different um, different set of um, issues that, you know, you contend with, but they're all still the same as well. But yeah, I'm not in debt to the point where I was like not being able to pay my car payment, you know? Um, and I get to do something that I love, which is, I hope, inspiring for people who are also doing the same thing. And what some people might not know is you didn't live this charmed life. You didn't grow up in a family that said, we're going to give you acting lessons and here we go. And we're going to put you up there and, and support you until you make your dream come true. That wasn't your experience. No, no, no. I'm one of five <laughs> children, the middle, of course, as you can um, probably tell. I um, didn't feel very heard or seen in, in many, many moments of, of my childhood, but I knew that I wanted to relate to people and I wanted to tell stories and I found so much joy in making other people happy. And I really thought comedy was going to be my thing. Like I wanted to be the female Jim Carrey and I was like, how in the heck am I going to do that? So I, I never thought that I would have the ability to like come to LA and audition for agents and managers when I'm like making silly videos with my sisters on, you know, tape players in my bedroom. Um, yeah, I mean, my parents are divorced. I'm one of five children. My mom was a single mom who could barely put food on the table, you know, um, but did it for us and nights that she didn't eat because, you know, she sacrificed for us. And when you come from a a situation in which you don't know if there's anything different out there, it's, it can be very, very disheartening and very difficult. Um, so I met my manager at a random open call at a holiday inn that my sister told me to take her to. Um, and then sort of the rest is history. Crazy. Right. And one of the things that I loved about your book, and I think that your viewers love about your show is that you show these flashbacks to childhood and it kind of gives us this inkling of, oh, this is how these certain characters became the people that they are or the same insecurities they struggled with at age 12, they're still struggling with when they're 40. Right. And your book does sort of the same thing for you. You give us these backstories about you, how you grew up, the things you learned, the the happy stories, the little things that stuck with you, but as well as the tough times and how those things can still stick with us. Oh, I mean, if we're not our parents' unresolved issues, we are just our own unresolved issues and they will plague us until we've sort of face them head on and we're like, oh, 
this, the only way to go is through. And that's a really hard concept because we don't like to be uncomfortable. It is so uncomfortable to be uncomfortable. Um, and I feel like I've, I've definitely gotten more comfortable with being uncomfortable over these many, many years. Um, and I, it's definitely still stuff, you know, that, that I hold on to things that even after writing my book that I was like, Oh, this is not completely resolved. I still have feelings about that. You know, um, my biological father, um, passed away a couple years ago and we were sort of still estranged when he did. And there's been a lot of healing around what I didn't say, what I should have said, what I shouldn't have done, what I should have done. Um, and I've done a lot of forgiveness process around that because so much of the lack of relationship that he and I didn't have um, really informs who I am today. And it's funny because it's sort of the opposite with Kate. You know, like her father loved her just unconditionally, just as she was. And so um, it's interesting that through the role that I've played, I found healing. I'm telling you, everything happens as it should, even when we don't know it yet. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, we're a daily, daily process and, you know, progress, not perfection, but there's the progress is what's important. I'm a therapist. The number one thing people will say when they come into my office is to have to talk about my childhood because there's this often this fear of, I don't want to go back and relive things that happened to me a long time ago. But now that you've written this book, you've been on this show. What do you think about our childhood hurts and how that affects us later in life? I mean it's everything, you know, um, from feeling like I wasn't heard or didn't feel, um, important in the, uh, the positioning of my childhood, um, with my, with my own siblings and, you know, being a chubby kid. And I remember the only thing I could wear from my friends, you know, was like necklaces and jewelry. It wasn't, you know, we couldn't share clothes and how I was always hooking my friends up with, you know, boys, even though I like them because they didn't like a chubby girl. And, um, I mean, every single thing, every single thing is, it's the way we walk through life. I believe in what we've dealt with or haven't dealt with. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, it's all about the childhood. It's, it's all about it. Yeah. And has it stirred up stuff for you playing Kate that, Ooh from your childhood? Yeah, definitely. I mean, seeing Mackenzie or little Isabella play the younger versions um, of Kate, realizing that, oh, wow. Yeah, it's it's hard to let go of our parents. It's hard to be on these journeys by ourselves. And it's um, when we're teased or bullied for our weight or for any differences that we that we might have. Yeah, I see myself completely in those those younger versions of Kate. And then of course in present day, I'm like, oh yeah, that that I'm still dealing with, whether it's relationships and feeling insecure or, you know, putting people first. And that's what's so beautiful about this last episode with with Kate when she finally climbed that hill. It's like she's finally putting herself first in a very real real way, in a way that I don't think that society teaches women especially to do. I think so as well. And 
that's one of the things that makes this show so powerful. It teaches us those lessons that the same sibling issues we had at, at age 10 often are still right there 30 years later. Or those little sayings, sometimes it might be an off-the-cuff comment that somebody makes. And at the time, you might not even think that much about it, but how it affects you, how it stays stuck in your brain or how it really shapes into who you become. Absolutely. I mean, even with you know Kevin, Kate, and Randall and with Rebecca choosing Kate as her um, sort of POA of, of some sorts, um, if anything should happen to her while she's battling her condition, you know, I never, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know if Kate ever really believed in herself. And I felt like that really bolstered her confidence as far as how Rebecca sees her. And what she realizes that her mom saw her in a way that she never thought her mom saw her and she's never seen herself. And she's like, wow, oh, this is like a whole new thing, you know? And so I feel like she's finally realizing that she does have something to contribute, something to say. And she is really damn, like not only qualified, but like really um, capable of, of being that person for her mom. And also it's such a beautiful way to not only thank her mom, but um, to give back to her mom now that she understands her because she is a mom herself and, and all of those nuances. Yeah, your show covers so many real life issues from yeah. grief and terminal illness to aging, sibling issues, money, body image. I mean, all the things that so many of us are battling in everyday life. And then you sit down and you watch the show and you guys are battling all of these on the screen and we get to kind of see, oh, okay, this is how they're handling it. And there's something about it. I mean, everybody cries when they watch <laughs> watch your show, yet people are hooked, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think people need that catharsis. I think you know, so too. Whether they're comfortable with talking about talk therapy or therapy of any sort, that there is a bit of a reprieve or a, so much that is relatable in the character or the storyline that they're like, oh, and some people aren't comfortable with feeling those feelings. So they're like, oh, I can't watch it. I'm right. like, I get it. I get it. Sometimes you're in the mood. Sometimes you're, you're not. And, um, it's, it can be overwhelming when you start to feel things that you're like, oh, I've repressed this for a long time. <laughs> right, right. So I can only imagine being on the show, how that must stir up things for you from, from your own childhood and your own experiences. Oh, yeah. I mean, and there are times where things have been pulled from my own experiences. And I'm like, yep, either Dan's been listening to me or it's just so relatable that everybody's going to know what, what this is when they see it on the screen. Right. Yeah. And you have a whole chapter in your book called Hurt People, Hurt People. Ooh, Can yes. you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So um, it's interesting as a 41-year-old woman, I never thought that I would be able to get over what my stepfather, what I endured. And I can now see, you know, I do genuinely believe that everybody is innately good. Um, and that if we don't heal our pain and our hurt, we end up projecting and hurting other people. And I really believe that's what my stepfather did with me. And whether he meant well and he had good intentions, it was a little hardcore as far as the discipline goes. And I think it's hard to not only talk about it, but like see that somebody could express that about a behavior. Um, and I know that it made him very uncomfortable and his family uncomfortable that I talked about it. But like, it was for me to talk about and it was my story and my my perception is my reality and it needed to 
be said for my own healing. But now I can like look back and say like he did the best he could with what he had. And it's not a justification because that kind of behavior towards anybody, much less a child, is not okay. Um, But I do realize that if he knew better, he would do better, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And the stories about your stepdad were hard to read at times. Yeah, I know. It was hard to write. I can only imagine. And I mean, it's an understatement to say he was mean to you. There were times where he was, would you say, outright abusive? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, like emotionally, physically, um, mentally. And because he was so in so much pain. I mean, it still brings up emotions for me. Because I think like, if I was in that much pain, how much pain was he in from his previous experience? And I really try to have so much empathy and sympathy because I don't think that anybody wants to be mean or malicious, but people are what they know and become what they know, unfortunately. And if we can like reprogram that and and sort of find out who we really are, um, or if maybe he was listened to and he felt important, he wouldn't have done that for me. And, you know, there's of course a different um, way of life and the way that you would discipline children was very different, you know, in the times that he grew up. Um, but it was hard because my father wasn't around and he felt like a father to me in ways that I never had. But at the same time, I was like, you know, having to, he would make me weigh myself and then I would be in trouble if I gained weight or like the doors would be locked up or it just felt so, um, it's just, it was so counterproductive to my own healing around food and my body that, oh, it's, it's hard. It's a hard thing to hear and read and, um, to still talk about because it was a hard time in my life. And there was a part in the book where you almost say something to the effect of he's, he's not your biological dad, but he's doing better than your biological dad because at least he's here. Right. But at the same time, you knew this wasn't okay. You shouldn't just have to put up with what you had to put up with just because he's somewhat in the picture. Right. And because he was, you know, he was a great provider and he, you know, gave a lot of stability to an otherwise very unstable childhood for me after my parents divorced. But it doesn't mean that um, being berated or, you know, feel like tormented is, um, there's no justification for it. I don't care how much money you're bringing in, what kind of, you know, um, shelter you have for somebody. It's like not cool. It's just not okay. Right. And are there ways that you grew up in in Florida, which by the way, I hear you were born in Homestead. We're down in the Florida Keys. So when I read that, I was like, oh, she's oh, <laughs> from you guys are in the Keys? We are. Oh, so um my boyfriend's a songwriter. He's coming to the Songwriters Festival, the Key West Songwriters Festival in May. Oh. So I'm hoping to get down there. So yeah. Oh. I've never I've never been to the Keys. I'm born in Homestead, raised in Gainesville and Japan, but like never been to the Keys. So Oh, good. Well, we hope yeah. you do come down in May yeah, then. <laughs> yeah, me too. Thanks. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And I mean, Florida was like, I spent nine years in Japan when my parents were married and my dad was in the Navy, but then we moved to Gainesville and my mom remarried a man who I obviously didn't know. I didn't know all these these new people in school. I felt like such an outcast. I was the chubby girl. It was 
it was a tricky, I mean, I know it's all relative, but it was a, a tricky time in my life for sure. And, um, just navigating very uncharted waters. Yeah. And so then you go from at some point living in, in a trailer park in Gainesville to now living in Hollywood. What's it like to make that leap from, <laughs> you know, one life to another? It's interesting. I was home recently uh, in Gainesville. My family's still sort of in the surrounding areas. And I took a picture of that trailer I grew up in just so I could have it. And um, I remember so many of the positive fun times, like when it actually snowed and the little carport was like frozen over and we sort of were skating on it. And it's what's interesting about our lives is that there are the joys and there's the sorrow and sometimes they're one and the same. And uh, it's interesting that I, like on paper, my life doesn't kind of make sense. I'm like, how did this happen? How did this happen? Um, and I'm so grateful every day. And I also don't forget where I came from. And like, like I know what it's like to not have any sort of stability or security. And now I'm like, well, is it just an idea or an, an idea in our minds? Like what, what is real security? What is stability? Um, and I think moreover of that, it's like consistency. And that's something I haven't really had in my life. And so I'm like, oh, I've had a job for six years that I've really enjoyed. That's been pretty consistent. And that's really wonderful. And it's coming to an end. And I'm like, oh, all my childhood issues and traumas are coming uh, to the surface. I'm like, oh, haha, these are things I need to work on. But I, I mean, I never even thought I'd own my own washer and dryer, much less a home, you know? Um, it's it's really something. Every day I'm like, this this is my house. What you know? Um, but I'm also just I try to stay in like gratitude. Yeah, I like that you talked about how you practice gratitude even before you get out of bed in the morning. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things that we take for granted, and I I don't say we. I mean, of course, including myself, like running water or electricity. Or the fact that we can walk ourselves to the bathroom or even go to the bathroom on our own. I mean, things that like, you just think, oh, this is this is my body and this is what it does. And then all of the other stuff that's like the, the cherry on top. Like I get to be talking to you with this cool technology and we get to share this amazing story that hopefully will inspire somebody else. So much, so much to be grateful for. And I always, at least 10, 10 things before I get out of bed. and um, you know, try to sort of visualize how the day is going to go and send out good energy and good vibes to everybody. You know, it's, um, I really believe that you can only keep what you give away. And I also know that the more grateful you are, the more you receive, which is such an amazing concept. I'm like, guys, guys, you got to tap into that, you know? Um, but I also know that it's really hard when you feel down and out to be grateful for something. So you can start with something small. Like I, I have a moment to practice gratitude. That's something to be grateful for. Yep. You know, there's endless, no matter what situation you're in, I do think that there's something you could, you can find to be grateful about. And tell me this, the more that you gain, the more that you achieve, does your anxiety go up because now that you have more to lose? Oh, I've never thought about having more to lose. It's more about like, 
my identity is wrapped up in this role. My identity is wrapped up in my next job. Or is that stability going to go away because I might not have a job? And will I have to downsize? And like, what is, you know, there's nothing sort of, um, it's interesting, right? Like I came from like a stable, unstable childhood to an unstable job. <laughs> like, right. I'm in the business of rejection and a very unstable industry. What in the hell does that say? Um, right. So I guess it's something I'm comfortable with. Um, so I think it's more over about that. Like, okay, what what's the next thing going to be? And I'm, am I waiting for the other shoe to drop? And I just, I have to remember like, all I have right now is right now, right now, right now, right now, right now. Um, so I try not to future trip or lament about the past and just stay present. I try. And I'm sure everybody's asking you now that the show's going to end, what's next? Yeah. What's it like to, to have to, I guess, answer that question? It's like I have to qualify. Yeah. I have to qualify that I'm a good enough actor and a good enough person and a good enough um, track record to warrant another job. And I'm like, oh, this is uncomfortable. And then all of my neuroses start to come to the surface. And then I think, you know what? There are many people who have ebbs and flows in their lives and in their industry and their careers. And the only thing I can do is be ready so I don't have to get ready. Constantly, you know, work and, and stay creative. And then if the right project comes along, it will. Um, obviously, I'm still songwriting and going to be finishing my album, which is very exciting because I feel like it took a bit of a a pause because of COVID as everything did. Um, so I'm really going to focus on that because I feel like it's something that I haven't really had a, a good shake at yet. And I really, I never want to sing the shoulda, coulda, wouldas. You know what I mean? So <laughs> we were listening to your music in the podcast studio today. You have an absolutely beautiful voice. Oh, and thank you. Can you share the story about you trying out for American Idol? Of course I can. So I was married to my ex-husband at the time and he was like, I'll go with you. Um, and the arena was San Diego Stadium, the Charger Stadium at the time. And there were thousands of people. I mean, I was like, oh, I'm not going to have a chance. What am I doing? I think we sat for about eight hours total um, before you could even have an opportunity to audition or sing for 30 seconds. So they have like multiple tents in a row, five or six judges. Everybody goes up in a row of five. You get 30 seconds to sing. And I was like, oh Lord, you know what, Christy? All you can do is your best. Just be ready. So I sang, of course, not of course, but I sang heavy from Dream Girls. And um, I just love that song. And um, the the guy, one of the judges said, well, you know what? Thank you all so much. It's it's not going to be any of you this this time, but we wish you well. And I was like, hold on. Why is it? Why is it none of us? How could it not be any of us? And he's like, "What?" And there were two women on the next tent over, judges, who were like, "Who are you? What are you doing?" And I'm like, "I just think that he's wrong." And they were like, "What?" And of course, I'm sure they were like intrigued by my, dare I say, confidence. I don't know what it was. Something, something got into me, and I don't know. I was just, I think I was like, I'm not going to sit here for eight hours and not have like a real fair shake at something. And they said, well, sing for us. And I sang and they gave me a ticket to go to the next round. And I was like, what? Huh? It worked? And whether they were trying to make good TV or not, who knows? But 
I ended up going back for like two more rounds. And then I got to the round before like the TV judges. And they were like, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think you know, you know how good your voice is. You don't really know how to work it or manipulate it. And I was like, yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> and they were like, huh? And I think they wanted me to have sort of like a reaction as, as anybody would. And I was like, okay. And they're like, you're a talent agent. Don't you know what talent is? And I was like, y'all ain't gonna try to do this to me on national television. I'm not gonna embarrass myself. And I was like, well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I remember just like leaving and, you know, there's always a disappointment when we don't feel like we're included in something. But I was like, oh, obviously it's not the, it's not my path. It's a great opportunity for many, many people and a really fun show to watch people who have never been discovered seeing. But um, I got third degree sunburn on my legs from that thing. It was, um, yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Was I thought it was a great story when you said, you know, the first time I stood up and the second time I was all, no, it's, it's, it's good. And, yeah. and we were able to walk away. Yeah. And like, I just, I would rather have felt um, okay with how I acted instead of being embarrassed. Because of course my ego wanted to be like, hold up, you don't know nothing. And I'm like, ah. There's, there's no point in causing a scene, Chrissy. Right. Believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> so for our listeners who maybe have some unhealed childhood hearts, do you have any thoughts on on how you work through those? Yeah. Oh boy. I journal a lot. I I have a therapist, talk therapy a lot. Um, I also do a thing called journal speak, which is... Um, literally getting out anything and everything that you feel. And sometimes I just do it on a computer so I can erase it because I never keep it. Because our feelings, I don't always believe are facts, but they're definitely needing to be removed, excavated. Um, so then we can get down to like the core issue, like what's really going on. So that's been very helpful. And also knowing that it's not going to be a linear process. I think for me, I was like, okay, once I, I handle this, everything's going to be great. And I was like, oh, oh, I just cleared the path for some other stuff to come to come to the surface. I'm like, oh, dang it. This is just what it is. It's just like perpetual, it's like owning a house, perpetual troubleshooting. It's like perpetual, just like excavation and exploration, uncovering, discovering, discarding. Um, And the only way really is through. And that was also something that was like, dang. I have to come to terms with that. All right. And also, um, this whole point, I believe, of this plane of existence is to evolve. And so I want to be better tomorrow than I was today, you know, um, and that have grace around all of that because it's just, it won't be perfect. It won't be linear, but it will be worth it. You know? Oh, I love that. Yeah. I'm glad that you said that because it's absolutely true. We have days and times when life's looking pretty good and then a bump in the road, whether we know what that circumstance is or sometimes you just wake up and you think, oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, just this is not a great feeling. This is is icky. But then I also know that like feelings do pass and it's hard to sit through them because it's just so damn uncomfortable. Um, And that's okay. That's okay to have the feelings. It's okay to have a hard time getting through them, but just to feel them, I think so much of how our society is now, you know, we're always being able to 
whether it's a distraction of Instagram, social media, or alcohol, drugs, food, um, purchases, you know, like online shopping, anything and everything we can stuff our feelings down with. But there, there's, oh gosh, I think his name's Travis Meadows. He's a singer songwriter and he has a song called Sideways. And the line is, I push it down, but it comes out sideways. And it like, oh, like every time I listen to it, I cry. I probably can cry thinking about it. But it's like, it will come out some way, somehow, eventually it will. And you hopefully don't implode, you know, like, so start working on it because otherwise it's, you know, there's just so much joy to be had, but it doesn't feel like it, but there is, it's just getting through it, through it all. Yeah. Thank you for saying all of that. Thank you for your book. Thanks for being on the show. Oh, I have no doubt you. that you give a lot of people the courage to work through some of those unhealed hurts that we have. So thank oh, you. I hope so. I, you know, when people have encouraged me and I'm so grateful to those people. So you know, we're all just paying it forward. Yeah. Absolutely. Chrissy Metz, thank you so much for being on the Very Well Mind podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Welcome to The Therapist Take. This is a part of the show where I'll break down Chrissy's mental strength building strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. Here are three of Chrissy's strategies that I highly recommend. Number one, get comfortable being uncomfortable. You've likely heard people say this before but the context is probably about challenging yourself to do scary things. Chrissy said it in a different context. She was talking about the death of her estranged father and all the feelings she has surrounding her loss. She said some of those feelings and the feelings surrounding other issues in her life aren't completely resolved. It's uncomfortable to think that you have unresolved issues or that you haven't worked through certain things in your life, but that's okay. You could force yourself to believe that you've worked through every bad thing that happened to you or every mistake that you've made. But the truth is, as you grow and learn even more, the way you look at unresolved issues will shift. You might see things differently or develop a completely new outlook if you allow it to happen. If we're honest, we all have unresolved issues. And the goal in resolving those things shouldn't be to see how fast you can overcome them. You don't need to check items off a list declaring that you've resolved everything. Instead, part of the healing process might involve living with uncomfortable feelings for a really long time and resolving things just a little bit at a time. Chrissy called this perpetual troubleshooting. That's a great way to put it. And to consider yourself a work in progress that will always need some ongoing maintenance. Number two, pay attention when you discover an unhealed emotional wound. Chrissy has somewhat of a unique experience when it comes to addressing unhealed emotional wounds. She plays a character in a TV show who has flashbacks to childhood. And she said watching the scenes from her character's childhood reminds her of unresolved insecurities or issues that she still hasn't addressed. The rest of us don't get to see a literal representation of our childhoods like this. But we do get glimpses at what our unhealed wounds are. Pay attention to the way you feel when you walk into a new situation. When you don't know anyone, what fears crop up into your head? Or pay attention to those thoughts that run through your head and the feelings you experience when someone gives you a compliment. Do you feel uncomfortable? That's likely because you aren't sure you agree with the kind things you're hearing. That might be a good signal that there's an unresolved issue there. You might even be able to connect those things back to that time in childhood when something happened. Like maybe someone made fun of you or you failed at something and you felt like you weren't good enough, 
After all, childhood is when you develop beliefs about yourself, other people, and the world around you. Just raising your awareness to some of those unhealed wounds can be helpful. When you can say, yeah, I don't like to attend networking events because when I was a kid, I always felt left out and I don't want to feel like that again. You'll then know why you feel certain emotions. Making those connections might help you make more sense of things. And it may help you overcome some of those insecurities that still threaten to hold you back. And number three, work through your uncomfortable feelings. Chrissy talked about how tempting it is to distract ourselves from uncomfortable emotions with things like social media or alcohol. But distraction only gives us temporary relief. There's a lot of truth in that. Distraction is a good temporary coping skill. It's something we've talked about on the show before. If you experience an intense emotion, a temporary distraction might reduce it enough so that you can think clearly. Like when you're really angry, you aren't likely to have a productive conversation. But if you go for a walk and distract yourself for a few minutes, you can calm down enough that you can then return and have a healthy conversation. Or if you're so anxious that you can't think, watching some funny videos for a little bit that make you laugh can help reduce your anxiety enough so that you can go back and tackle a problem. But once the intensity of an emotion has subsided, it's important to get back to working through that feeling. You might allow yourself to feel that emotion for a while. You might also process that feeling by writing in a journal, talking to someone about it, or by working on practicing radical acceptance, a strategy that we talked about in episode 111. Ultimately, you don't heal from uncomfortable feelings by running from them. They'll follow you wherever you go and keep popping up in unexpected ways until you work through them. So those are three of Chrissy's strategies that I highly recommend. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Pay attention when you suspect you have an unhealed emotional wound and work through your uncomfortable feelings. If you're having trouble dealing with unhealed emotional wounds or you have difficulty working through your feelings, seek professional help if you can. Talking to a therapist could help. If you want to hear more about Chrissy's story or to hear more of her tips, check out her book, This Is Me. Thank you for listening to the Very Well Mind podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share the episode with your friends and family and leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the Very Well Mind podcast, you can head to verywellmind.com slash podcasts.